Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. Today we are in Luke 18, and we're going to be studying some overlooked family wisdom from Jesus. You know, there's a huge collection of good books and recordings and broadcasts that offer guidance and wisdom in family matters, but yet the greatest resources can come directly from a practical application of the scriptures. Now, somebody might say, but Steve, what about my favorite psychologists like Dr. Ray or Dr. Paul Vitz or Dr. Bill Bullett? They're very good men. But let me ask you a question. What about turning to the one who made everyone's soul? I mean, psychology literally means study of the soul, and God made the soul, and not only did God make the soul, he made everyone's soul, he made your soul. So truly the study of psychology from the one who made the soul should take us to a very deep place. One great scripture in the Old Testament is Psalm 139, and the psalmist says, I praise you, God, for wonderful are thy works. You know me right well. In other words, God only made the soul. He made your soul, and he knows you from the inside as well as your spouse, as well as your children. He goes on, my frame was not hidden from me when I was being made in secret. Thy eyes beheld my unformed substance. In thy book were written every one of them, that the days that were formed for me. How precious to me are thy thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So what we're going to try to do today is show you and this is actually what we've been doing through our studies in the Gospel of Luke, is seeing first, this is the first step, what does the Bible itself say? What does the text say? And then the second step, what does that mean? And then the third step, the application step, how does it apply? And do you know that you know, in preparing a Bible study or a priest preparing a homily or somebody preparing a broadcast and they're looking at a section of Scripture, do you know the application part can often be the most difficult to really come up with? Uh, the evangelicals even have uh, a special commentary edition of the Bible called the Life Application Bible. But really, Don't we all want a life application Bible? That's what the Bible is supposed to be. So we're going to take a look at Luke 18 today, and we're going to start with the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. A publican is simply a tax collector, kind of regarded as a turncoat who uh, cooperates with the conquering Romans over the Jewish people and collects taxes. Not, Not a popular guy, but here we go. Jesus told this parable to some who 
trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Pharisees, we need to understand this. Everybody goes, oh, you know, those Pharisees back then, they, they just missed the boat. If you think for a moment, a millisecond, that Pharisees are some historical group in ancient history that's great for illustrations of this or that when you're studying Scripture, you're mistaken. I have been a Protestant pastor, okay? And I can say with certainty, an evangelical Protestant pastor, that within Protestantism, the same problem that plagued this Pharisee plagues evangelical Protestant believers, sincere ones, sometimes those trying the hardest. And if you're sitting there all smug and say, well, I'm glad Catholics don't have this problem. Well, it's been 29 years as a Catholic, and I can say I've met Catholics all over North America and some foreign countries, and the same problem, the Pharisee problem, infects Catholics and very often, now I'm not trying to be your opponent, I'm trying to be your friend, parents, but those parents who take the faith most seriously can fall right into this trap. And what, what is the trap? Well, the trap is, this Pharisee's trap was he felt that God's ultimate acceptance of him, his salvation, was based on kind of a graded curve uh, based on religious performance. He goes, I'm thank you, I'm thank you, God. I'm not like this other guy. I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do that. Okay, good, that's half the balance sheet. The other side, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And the key phrase here, and you've heard me say this several times, but the reason I say it several times, because it infects all of us to a degree and some of us to a great degree, that I means that you are into self-salvation. Now, Jesus called it out. The Pharisee, in his big religious prayer, Jesus says he stood and prayed thus with himself. Heaven was closed. This guy was praying to the walls or to a tree, but he wasn't praying to God. God wasn't hearing him, and he wasn't having a relationship with God. Now, I want to ask what I consider one of the most important questions 
for Christian families in the 21st century, and it's this. Why do so many youth give up on prayer, give up on going to church, in fact, just give up on the Christian life? And I believe it boils right down. And I'm talking about young people coming from good families. It's this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. If suddenly a young person gets the idea that his or her performance uh, is, is everything or his performance on what things he doesn't do, which other people might do, this pride seeps in and just cuts one off totally from God. And, you know, after a while, why pray to God if you're just praying to yourself? Why why try to live the Christian life if you're just living within your own bubble? You're not really connecting with God. This is exactly what happens with what I call serious religious performance, and that's your primary trust is in your performance. Your primary trust isn't in God and what Jesus has performed on our behalf. You know, the Barna Group, the religious pollsters, they report that 20% of young adults who attended church as a teenager say, quote, God seems missing from my experience of church unquote. God seems missing. (laughs) Where is God? Well, if you have been taught that your whole relationship with God is somehow connected with being kind of perfect, and and don't get me wrong, as as a parent, you desperately want to train your children to do the right thing, to believe the right thing, to live in relation with God, But ultimately, the thing we really need to focus on is the grace of God and what God has done on our behalf. You see, the the big turning point, if you just just imagine, you know, let's just say I could write you a thousand-page book on the Christian life, okay? But in the center of the book, I have a simple diagram with two circles, Okay? I'm going to summarize everything that's in that thousand-page book. And on the left, the one circle, I'm going to put a huge letter I. And on the other circle, I'm going to put, it almost looks like an I, but it, it, it's a little different. I'm going to put a cross. One is me-centered. The other is God-centered. And you can take that and expand that with whatever depth you want But what you want to do with your children is have them focus on God and his mercy, his love, and yes, his righteousness, so their lives conform themselves to God, but they trust God and not themselves. And, you know, uh, Sherry Waddell has a, a great book, and she points out a lot of the problems with young Catholic adults. 60%, 60% of Catholic young adults believe that a personal relationship with God is impossible. That's about the percentage of young adults falling away from the faith. They don't believe that having a personal relationship with God. And here the Pharisee was being very religious. He was doing all the pious stuff but he was trusting in himself, so Jesus said he prayed thus with himself. And 
it's like God's somewhere else other than in my life. So a prime trust in self for salvation blocks God's grace, blocks a relationship with him. And here's another one. Forgive me for stepping on toes, but sometimes if we're going to talk about truth, and the Bible does talk about truth, okay, it goes further than what many secular psychologists say, and even further than some religious psychologists. There is an extreme danger in what I call super spirituality. The person who feels that, um, you know, performance-based Christianity, it's all dependent upon what I do or don't do, and I've even heard it described as some super holy Catholics, and there's programs on this and books on this and groups on this. But you know what? If there's a group of super holy Catholics who are really pushing the performance— but ultimately are trusting in themselves, they're, they're seriously malformed. And further, if everybody in your parish knows that so-and-so or certain group is super performing, super spiritual, hear the words of Jesus. And in a study Bible, my study Bible, there's a cross-reference between Matthew 6 and Luke 18, our passage of the Pharisee. And a cross-reference means basically we're, we're pulling together the statements of Jesus regarding the same topic. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray and stand in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by men. Listen to this. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. (laughs) Their reward is being seen by men, but they're cut off from God. We're right back to the Pharisee again. He stood thus and prayed with himself. He thought he was hitting, you know, A-plus religious faith, and he was at zero, absolute zero. And so why are so many young people falling away, even from good homes? I mean, there's a whole host of reasons, but this is one of the core reasons. This is why we need to pay attention to the overlooked practical wisdom from Jesus, because it will kind of correct us on course. Even though we're sincere in what we're trying to do, we don't want to overdo it and lose focus that God is in the center of our life, the center of our attention, the center of our worldview, the center of our theology. Keep God there and we're gonna be in good shape. Now, the second part of this is the publican. I mean, this guy, well, he knew he was, so to speak, in trouble. And if you're a human being, okay, you're in trouble. I mean, you may not realize it. If you read the Bible enough, you'll learn you're in trouble. You know you need God. And the publican wouldn't even lift up his eyes, but beat his breast saying, and this is a nuclear-powered prayer. Listen to it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow, this is a powerful prayer. And you know, uh, St. John Paul II told us that uh, we need to pay attention to certain things in the Eastern churches, the Orthodox churches, and the church really needs to breathe with two lungs. 
And in the Orthodox churches, there's a very famous prayer that goes right along with this passage right here called the Jesus Prayer. And it goes like this, very simple. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in the East, uh, pious people will often pray this prayer several hundred times a day. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in the understanding, in fact, John Paul II opens this up. This is called the prayer of the heart. And it's a prayer, the Jesus prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a prayer for opening the heart. And in the Orthodox churches, this is kind of the equivalent of praying the rosary. And, uh, you know, I got liberated a few years ago. Um, I kind of fell into this thing that you could only pray with one posture and um, not having one of my knees isn't in great shape. It, it, I find it kind of was limiting my prayer life until I was at a Catholic men's conference and a bishop was speaking about his walk with God, just real open with the men. And he liked to swim laps. And every lap he would swim, he would say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He would pray the Jesus prayer while he swam. What? Isn't that irreverent to be praying while you're swimming laps? And now somebody might say, well, Steve's fallen off the edge, but, you know, I've learned how to pray the rosary on my 10-speed bike. You know, each decade's, you know, 10 beads, and I can't do hold the rosary beads while I'm on my bike, but I have 10 fingers, and I just go right on my from my shifter to, uh, you know, my gear lever back and forth, and I can pray the rosary on my 10-speed bike. Uh, going up hills sometimes is difficult. You can do the Jesus prayer. It really kind of concentrates you. You, know, you can do this anywhere and everywhere. And I think it's quite liberating to incorporate the Jesus prayer along with the rosary because that emphasis, sometimes if we try real hard, we need to just keep our focus on Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Keep our focus there. And then our relationship with the Holy God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you can kind of open the heart with that. And that's what happened to this man. He went home justified. All right. Now, the next paragraph, a lot of wisdom for families. It's Jesus and the little children. It says, starting in verse 15, we're in Luke 18 again. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I'd like to talk for just a moment about children's ministry and men, okay? A lot of people think that only women can do children's ministry. I believe both men and women can do children's ministry. And what should be your goal in children's ministry? Just what this says right here. Let the little children come to me. 
That's your goal, is to bring them to Jesus. Not simply kind of like uh, general religious exposure or stories or whatever. Behind it all, you want to bring them to the person of Jesus. And I mentioned men need to be involved with this. Now, the Bible is rather clear that fathers are supposed to be involved in the religious training of their children. For instance, Ephesians 6, 4, in a context where St. Paul just got done talking about husbands and wives, okay, both moms and dads, when it comes to training of children, St. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, you might say, well, where are mothers? Aren't they supposed to do it? Yes, they are. And now, this is pure Steve. This isn't any big theological insight, but in some way, I have to believe that the Holy Spirit moved St. Paul because he knew that mothers would be doing this with great devotion, but fathers would say, oh, honey, just keep it up. You're doing a great job and kind of check out. So in the New Testament, St. Paul just nails fathers to be involved in this. And in the Old Testament, if you ever want to find a passage of Scripture encouraging fathers to be involved in religious instruction of their children. It's Psalm 78. And the psalmist says, I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old that our fathers have told us. And again, it doesn't say anything about fathers, but would a godly Jewish mother be instructing her children about God and what great things God has done? Yes, but it zeroes in on dads because I think, again, dads have a tendency to want to back off from this. So it says, we will not hide from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And there's nothing more powerful than a parent's voice telling their own children and grandchildren about God not just, um, you know, a book or um, (laughs) some video or something, but the parent's voice. And then it goes on, Psalm 78, verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. This doesn't sound like multiple choice, does it? This is a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. This is how the faith reliably passes down the generations. But I can tell you, if you want to see a grown man panic, just go to a conference like I have done with Catholic men and challenge them to be the religious educators of their children. And they just like, whoa, how are we supposed to do this? Well, I'll tell you, for young men, the easiest way and the best way is to be involved in children's ministry. Go and volunteer, and if you don't even become a full-time teacher, just say who's ever in charge of the CCD program in your parish, hey, if anybody gets sick this flu season and can't teach their class, call me. Just have something kind of prepared to come in and, and share with the kids. And young men who do this uh, and maybe even have the opportunity, if you're willing to be this call me at the last minute substitute, you'll get various grades. So you'll get used to teaching children of various ages. So when you get to be a dad, you don't need to panic. 
Uh, and the same thing works, say, for a, a scouting troop in your parish or whatever. Young men can be involved. All right, now I'm going to suggest that you just turn off the broadcast at this moment and run in case you don't want to have any more children. Because I want to tell you about a 60-second prayer that I have discovered just through sharing this with Catholic parents. The 60-second prayer is what I call a new covenant prayer that invites God, our Heavenly Father, to place his will and desires within our hearts. And in the essence of the new covenant, according to the prophet Jeremiah, is that God would put his law within us. In other words, there would be this inner prompting in our hearts to do what God wants us to do. And in the New Testament, St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, in the modern world, everybody's been scared by the alarmist that the world's going to end in 12 years because of this or that environmental problem, which personally I think harms the long-term good of the environmental movement by having apocalyptic predictions and telling people not to have kids. But have you ever said to God, God, if you want us to have one more child, would you put that desire within our hearts? Now, I have done this in conferences, and I can remember sitting in the Denver airport, snowed in, trying to get to a conference, and there was a very nicely dressed uh, couple next to me, and they asked, what, what, what are you going to you know, our city for? And I told them, and he said, have you been to our city before? And I said, well, yes, I have. And he said, well, uh, every Catholic, I'm a, uh, a head of a big law firm, and every Catholic attorney in our firm that went to your conference is now expecting a child. And it was very interesting because there's only so many seats in this little plane they could fly to get us to wherever we wanted to go. And they came back to me later and said, you know, whatever you're doing, I think we'd like to offer you one of our seats so that you can get to this conference and challenge men to simply open their hearts and ask God if he would want them to have one more child. I was at another conference where a couple came up to me and said, well, we prayed the 62nd prayer, but you know, my husband has or had leukemia and he had a total chemical wash, chemotherapy, so he can't have children, but we prayed it anyhow. A year later, I was at the same conference and said to me with total astonishment, here's our baby. So here's the 60-second prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Dear Father, if it is your will for us to have one more child, please place that desire within both of our hearts. We open our hearts and invite you to place your will within our hearts. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 262 of Faith and Family. Mm-hmm.